The following messages from the morning service at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, on October 23, 2022. Today's guest speaker is Dave Bauer with Bible Related Ministries. Dave's message is entitled, Where Are You Pitching Your Tent? The passage he is speaking from is Genesis 13, 14, 18, and 19. All right. Good to be with you today. Good to be in the Sunday school hour and in the uh, morning service. Uh, your pastor asked me, first of all, to preach in the morning service. And I said to him, do you want me to do Sunday school too? He said, yeah, oh, he jumped at it. He said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, would you do that? So uh, here we are. And uh, I'm glad you're here today on the east side of Chicago. I was born in Chicago, but not here. It was in Hyde Park, south side. But uh, every one of our, ch our children in our family were born in Hyde Park. That's near the University of Chicago and right on the south side. So eh, I guess I'm a south sider whether I like it or not. But in, um, in 1953, uh, our parents moved us out of the clearing area in Chicago and we moved into the suburbs, which were really suburbs, they were unincorporated back then, and uh, we became residents of uh, a place called Woodland Hills, it's now Hickory Hills, annexed into Hickory Hills, and uh, my dad took a pastorate there that he would remain at for 28 years. Um, he remained there until he had a real bad stroke, and then that forced him out of the pastorate but he lived another 20 years after he left, and uh, we rejoiced in that. I don't think he would have lived that long had he continued in the pastorate. Anyway, God called me into ministry in, uh, when I was in my 30s. I was sure I was heading in that direction and began studying for it while I was working in machine shop, and uh, here I am today, you know, but... Uh, I've learned you don't want to run a lathe or a boring mill if God wants you to be preaching the Bible. Uh, it, it's important to do what God wants you to do. My brother wanted me to get into construction business with him, and I said, God, if God doesn't want me on a scaffold, I better not be on one. And uh, therefore, I'm a preacher. Anyway, the Eskimos had a trick to... Uh, kill wolves that were bothering their dogs and their dogs were either tied up or in harness and the wolves would distract them and bother them and even kill some of them and so uh, what the Eskimo would do is they would take a, a knife and they would hone the blade to a razor sharpness on the knife and then they would coat the knife blade and you know freezing temperatures would very many coats of animal blood, caribou or something from up there, put animal blood all over the blade, and it would freeze on there. And then they'd put another coat on, and it would freeze another coat. They'd dip it till they had several coats on there. And then they would take the knife and take the hilt and put it in the snow, pour a little water around it so it froze with the blade end up, dribble some blood around it, the wolf would come, smell the blood, and began licking at that knife. And uh, 
the blood would wear off of the knife, and, and exposing a razor-sharp edge, and the wolf would lick frantically, not realizing he's tasting his own blood, and he would die there with that knife sticking up. That's what sin is like, friends. Uh, I'm preaching on sin today, and I want it to go on record that I'm against it. I really am. And uh, sin is very much uh, deadly. Uh, um, it cost Adam his life eventually. Death passed upon all mankind because of sin. Well, by one man's sin, death passed upon all mankind, Romans 5.13 says. Uh, For all have sinned. And uh, we used to, I used to preach at Pacific Garden Mission up until the pandemic came, but I preached there for 32 years. And they had a saying at Pacific Garden Mission, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you more than you want to pay. I'll say that again. Sin will take you further than you want to go, Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And uh, there's a progression of sin. We find it in the the passage in Psalms, Psalms, Psalm 1. And I let this be a key passage, although we're going to be looking at some Genesis passages. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You see the progression there. There's uh, walking by sin. There's standing in the path of sinners. And there is finally sitting in the seat of the scornful. You can walk by places where sin is. If you linger there, you're standing there. And if you're seated seated there, you're part of the action. And uh, sin is deadly. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, and nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You're happy, you're blessed if you do that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. There's a fruitfulness if you stay away from sin. If you're in sin, uh, how do you bear fruit for the Lord? You know, it's a problem. And um, whatever he does shall prosper. He's planted by the fork in the rivers, literally, in, in the language of the Psalms. The ungodly are not so, ungodly people. Ungodly people are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The chaff is what they knock off the kernels of the wheat on a windy hill, hilltop, and the wind drives the chaff away. The chaff is that dried stuff, outer kernel on the outside, and you want the wind to drive it away because it has no weight, the, the grain will fall onto the, uh, onto the cloth you have under it. And you want to throw it in the air and the wind drives the chaff away. The chaff has no weight. It has no nutritional value. It has no root. It has no fruitfulness. Uh, o- only the grain of the wheat is, is what's kept. The ungodly are, are like that. They're, they're rootless. They have nothing. Uh, 
And so he says, the ungodly, and not so the ungodly, they're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way of the ungodly shall perish. And uh, God knows, and God sees, and he sees in the dark. So uh, he knows are getting up, are rising up, are sitting down, everything about us. We want to be careful. We want to be careful who we hang with. We want to be careful when we flirt with sin because it's deadly and it's terminal. All right. A man came to see a doctor one time. He said, Doc, Doc, you got to help me. You got to help me. I've been shot in two places. And the doctor looked at him and says, you should have stayed out of both of those places, it looks like to me. And, uh, you know, blatant sin, intentional sin, sin is getting in the wrong place, the wrong time. And I can't find a better example of that than uh, the man Lot, Abraham's nephew. So turn back with me. I said all that as an introduction. Turn back with me in Genesis, and let's look at chapter... 13 of Genesis, chapter 13 of Genesis. We find two men here, and the two men had large families. Uh, I wouldn't say families, but a lot, of, uh, a lot of livestock, a lot of servants, a lot of well, great wealth of people with them. One was Abram and one was Lot. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him to the south. And uh, we find in verse 5, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. These folks lived in tents. They were nomads, kind of like the Bedouin, only very, very wealthy. They, They had a lot. They had a lot of belongings. The land was not able to support them, verse 6, that they might dwell together. Their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. And so we, we have a situation where they couldn't be together. Uh, let's just put it that way, and the herdsmen are fighting. And Abram said to Lot, please... Uh, Verse 8, let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. That's a good compromise, good solution. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Uh, Brethren, yes, he's the nephew of Abram, uh, but they couldn't keep their flocks together. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. 
The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes now, look from the place you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land you see, I will give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length, through its width, I'll give it to you. Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Note that wherever Abraham dwells, he puts up an altar to the Lord. And even if he comes back to the place, he, he repairs the altar and worships the Lord wherever he is. Lot, however, is pitching his tent in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, that is walking in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, he is going in that direction. And it's a dangerous direction to be sure. So the first part of your outline here is, is a compromiser. And that's what Lot is. He's a compromiser. He's leaning toward the world. And the godly, Abraham, is leaning toward the Lord. Compromiser leans toward the world. The godly leans toward the Lord. Lot pitched his tent westward toward, or, or eastward rather, toward the most wicked city in the entire country. I mean, it's a city slated for destruction. That's where he's putting his tent down. Abraham moved away from the site. He built an altar to the Lord. And uh, we're told in the Bible we are not to conform to the world, um, Romans 12.2, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know God's will? Don't conform to the world. In the, uh, the uh, living the Living Bible, the one done by uh, Ken Taylor, he says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You know, that's uh, how he translated it for his children. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Compromiser is leading toward the world. The godly is leaning toward the Lord. And uh, that's the difference. First John 2.15, it tells us, love not the world nor the things of this world. Uh, for if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Remember, when you see things on the landscape and you see things you don't like politically or you see things you don't like morally or you, th you see things in this world that are just turning your stomach, remember, it's passing away. It's temporary. But he that does the will of God abides forever. And uh, you want to be part of the forever and invest your life in forever things. What is forever? God is forever. Amen? Everybody agree? Is God's word forever? Yes. And you know what else is forever? People. Either in heaven or in hell. They're forever. Invest your life in the forever. Don't worry about this world. It's passing away. <laughs> it's going bye-bye. 
It's going to the dogs fast, <laughs> you have to admit. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Why are we here? God has raised us up for such a time and such a place to be his people. Uh-huh. Don't lean toward the world. It's temporary. It's garbage. Uh, and we're talking about the world system in general. You know, I know you got to live in the world. I understand that. you got to live here. you got to spend your money wisely. you got to give to the Lord's work and to the missions that you support. I understand all that. Uh, and we make the best of it. You know, and we pr- pray for good decisions and all that. But don't be leaning toward the world and, and its system. No, no, no. Because... Uh, It'll catch you captive, and sin is deadly, and it's terminal. All right, compromiser. We go on to the next chapter, and in the next chapter, something uh, quite curious happens. There are some kings that Sodom and Gomorrah is paying tribute to. Chedorlaomer is one of them, and he has three kings with him. There are four kings, and... um, As you read chapter 14, you find that they decided at some point in time, them and some of the other nations in Canaan, decided to not give tribute, not give taxes to Chedorlaomer and his band any longer. And so they stopped it. And uh, Chedorlaomer came in and set himself against these cities and starts capturing them. And... uh, uh, It tells us the king of Sodom, verse 8, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in a battle in the valley of Siddam against Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariar, king of Elessar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddam was full of asphalt pits. It says tar pits in the old King James. Uh, Full of asphalt pits. You can imagine how sloppy the fighting was in asphalt pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there and the remainder fled to the mountains. Verse 10, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. They they pillaged the entire town. Took all the goods. And... and, uh, all of their provision, and they went their way. But look at verse 12. It says they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and Gomorrah. All his goods and departed. Where's Lot living? He's living in the city. He's moved himself from the plain where he was to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There he is living in the city. And uh, where where is he now? He's a captive. He's a captive. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. He's captive. (laughs) The compromiser is in danger of falling into bondage. And sin sin will lure you in. Um, The first drink is the first of many uh, of alcoholic beverages. Um, Any kind of drug that you take, it can have... Consequences, consequences. They have a drug now that can addict you uh, on the first usage even. It's called crystal meth. You know, you've heard of it. And uh, sin has consequences. Uh, Looking at a woman and looking at her twice, 
uh, can lead to temptation. We've had pastors that have been caught up in emotional affairs with women, where they had an emotional affair. And, and you tell them that's not right. You shouldn't be emotionally attached to, a, to another woman. And the pastor will tell you, well, we're not doing anything wrong, you know, which means there's no sexual contact. But, uh, you know, it's leaning in the wrong direction. It's pitching your tent in the wrong way, the wrong direction. And it leads to bondage at last. Compromisers in danger of falling into bondage. Where is Lot? He's a captive. He's a captive. He was in the wrong place. Should have stayed out of that place, huh? And uh, there he is in bondage. The righteous hold the key to real freedom. What happens in this chapter? Well, they took Abram's brother's son, Lot, captive, all his goods, and they departed. And verse 13, there there was one who escaped, and he came and he told Abram the Hebrew, uh, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the, Am- the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. If you were in the Sunday school class, you'll recognize this as a man that has great wealth. If he has 318 servants that he's got to feed every day, and that uh, prepare him lunch every day and, and serve all of his livestock that, that he has, how much livestock does this man have? So he arms 318 servants, and they become a little army. And he divided his forces against them by night. He, 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 does, a, he does a forced march, and he comes on them suddenly. He and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and all his goods. And they went as well as the women and the people. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shevla, which is the king's valley after his return of the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and the king of Sodom, remember, he, he escaped. He, he hid somewhere, but they, they caught Lot captive. And uh, Abraham had the key to real freedom. He frees Lot from the bondage that he was in. In conflict to God's will, Lot finds himself living in Sodom. You think that accidentally happened, or did he get too close? <laughs> He's standing in the way of sinners. See, he's in the city of Sodom, right in the city now. And uh, there he was, there he was, standing in the way of sinners. Abraham is not only able to free Lot, but later intercedes with God on the fate of the city. You see this in uh, chapter 18 of this book of Genesis. And Abraham bargains with God and reasons with God, and he says, "Uh, God, if there's 50 righteous people, would you destroy the city for 50 righteous people? And God says, no. And he says, then, if there's uh, 40, would you destroy, destroy it for 40? Oh, please, uh, God, what if there's only 30? And he gets down to like 10. You know, and God says, I won't destroy the city if there's 10 righteous there. But there was only Lot, and remember, Lot 
was, was not behaving in a very righteous way at the time. We agree on that, right? No, he's not. So Abram was not only able to free Lot, but he, he's able to talk with God and reason with God on the fate of the city. The compromisers in danger of falling into bondage. Sin has consequences, and it uh, can lead to bondage for sure. And um, so we want to stay away from it, really. You know, don't, don't be caught in those places. Don't be caught in places where you intentionally go. You know, sin can take you by surprise, for sure, but we should flee youthful lust. We should flee things that would put us in the bondage. Lot is leaning in that direction, you see. He's leaning into Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, finally, the compromiser reaps what he sows. There's a law of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. When you plant corn in the ground, what do you get out of the ground? Corn. When you plant wheat, you get wheat. When you plant beans, you get beans, you know, out of the soil. And uh, you get more than what you plant because you plant one seed and, you know, you, you get a stalk of corn if you plant enough of it. Um, it cross-pollinates and everything, and you get, uh, you, you get two long ears of corn. I don't know how many kernels are on there, but you only put one kernel in the ground. So exponentially, it multiplies. Now, if you plant sinful things, it multiplies, and you sow that. So God says, be not deceived, Galatians 6, 5. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Um, he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And uh, you sow unrighteous things, you'll reap unrighteous things. You get what you put in. You get what you put in. And that's the law of sowing and reaping. I don't think anything in the Bible can illustrate that better than the end of, of the life of Lot and his family. And so God did know Abraham, and God recognized Abraham, and you see that in chapter 18, like I said. But chapter 18, verse 19, this is what God says about Abraham. I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they will keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And that's what God says about Abraham. Abraham will do right concerning his family. Does Abraham have a family yet? No. Uh, his son Isaac is not born at this time. In fact, in this chapter, God predicts that he will have a son at this time next year. And it makes his wife laugh. She laughs and God says, guess what you're going to call that son? You're going to call him laughter. Isaac means laughter. You're going to call him laughter because you laughed. She's, oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, you did. God knows everything. I'm going to call him laughter. But he says he's going to bring up his children right. In contrast, Lot did not. God knew Abraham. He recognized Abraham knew him and that his household would be brought up the right way. But Lot, Lot, look at verse, chapter 19. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Um, remember? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Where's Lot sitting? He's sitting in the gate. That might not mean anything to you residents of the east side of Chicago, 
But uh, sitting in the gate means he was on the town council. He's guarding the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's now on the town council. Somehow he volunteered himself or got voted in. He's somebody in Sodom and Gomorrah sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them. He rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house. He owns a house in Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he invested in real estate in Sodom and Gomorrah. That city's going to get turned to cinders by the end of this chapter. But he owns real estate in Sodom and Gomorrah. He has invested in this city. Turn in your servant's house. Spend the night. Wash your feet that you may rise early and go your way. <clears throat> they said, no, we'll spend the night in the open square. And he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they laid down, the men of the city, the, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, and they said to him, Where are the men who came in to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. Do you think Lot was surprised by this? If you think that he was, then why did he so insist that they not stay in the open in that town and, and uh, get into his house with him safely? <laughs> he knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the lure of Sodom and Gomorrah was greater to him than the safe, safety of his friends or family. And uh, the men want him to, to uh, uh, or the uh, uh, Lot, they want Lot to send these men out to them. And Lot went out uh, to them through the doorway. And he shut the door behind him and he said, Please, my brethren, do not so wickedly see now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since, um, since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof. You think that's a good solution? Lots of compromiser, you see. He's compromising again. I'm, I'll reason with you. I'll give you my two daughters, two virgin daughters. Is that a solution? that any of us in this room would entertain. But that's the best Lot can come up with in Sodom, you see. And uh, they said, stand back. Stand back, they said to him, verse 9. This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to breaking down the door. And... Uh, here you have Lot trying to reason with them, trying to compromise with them, and they said, you came to us. You bought real estate in our town. You came to us, and you wanted to be on the town council. Now you're going to be a judge over us. You see? He sat in the gate. He had a house built. He compromised so much with his, un with his righteousness that the world around him did not take him seriously. He too had become a part of Sodom. While trying to reason with the unrighteous, he appeared at a, as a holier-than-thou hypocrite. That's all he is to them. You're a hypocrite. 
You came to us. We didn't come in and solicit your vote. We didn't come in and solicit you and tell you come and live with us and share your belongings with us. You came to us. Now you're going to judge us. No. That didn't work. The men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. The men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, whoever you have in this city, take them out of this place, pull them out of here, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy them. Now picture Lot, he has liquidated all of his assets and purchased a nice piece of real estate in Sodom and Gomorrah. He has money in the bank there. He has all of his things, all of his eggs in one basket, and he's living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they tell them, we're going to destroy this city. Can you imagine the state of mind that he had? You know, this, this is hard on him, to be sure, uh, to reason this out and to process it in his head. And so it tells us, verse 14, Lot went out, and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. And he said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. He was the life of the party in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he, he was a guy you invited to your party in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he could tell the best jokes, and he, he could do... He could do imitations and he could do sitcom and everything. And he seemed to be joking to them. Lot was just so full of laughs, you see. And uh, he seemed to be joking. Now, these sons-in-laws, they could have been uh, men that were engaged to his two virgin daughters. That could be possible. Uh, or it could be two daughters that aren't mentioned because they're not mentioned in the chapter. And if you were engaged in those days, you were as good as married. Because that was the first part of a marriage. You know, you would arrange an engagement. But either way, look at the fact that Lot is intermarrying in Sodom and Gomorrah with his daughters. Isn't that crazy? He is so dug in there that his daughters have husbands, as it were, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, if you're a father of any kind, you ought to shudder at the thought. I mean, really, this is incredible. Uh, I mean, Lot is so dug into Sodom and Gomorrah. It really is. But when he reasoned with them, he seemed to be joking. When the morning came, the morning dawned, the angel said to Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. While he lingered, see, Lot, Lot you're not, not going to get him out of there very easy. He's got to have another cup of coffee. He's got to take a look around him and, and see some things. He's got to uh, withdraw some money from the bank first or whatever he had dug into Sodom. You can imagine it was great. But he lingered. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to Lot. God is merciful uh, 
long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to righteousness. Amen? And you see the long-sufferingness of the Lord toward Lot, who's vexing his righteous soul day and night by living in this wicked city. It tells us that in, I think, Second Peter chapter 2. Vexing his righteous soul day and night, living in the wicked city, and got his family all tangled up in there and everything. And you can't get him out of here now. He lingered. And uh, the angels grab him by the hand. He's coming out kicking and screaming and hanging on to the doorpost on the way out, as it were, while he lingered. But God is merciful. It came to pass when they brought them outside at last. He said, the angel said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, <coughs> lest you be destroyed. And Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords, no, no, no. You can imagine this guy just crying at this time. You know what he's losing? He's losing everything worldly that he had invested in. Amazing. So You know, some people stand in front of the Lord like that. Loss of everything. Loss of everything. Uh, talks about a man like that in uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, it was in an adulterous situation. Losing everything. Uh, but Paul is turning him over to the Lord. That the Lord would destroy the, such a man. Fortunately he repented. you know. But uh, Lot is just having a real hard time processing this. Escape to the mountains. Lot said please no 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 my Lord's. Indeed, now your servant has found grace in your sight, and you've increased your mercy, which you've shown to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now this city near enough to flee to. It's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? Can I go to this suburb here? This city that's close by. You couldn't get this man far from Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> he should have stayed away from there. But you can't get him out of there. You know, he wants to go nearby, nearby. This little city. And he said to him, See, I favored you concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun had risen up upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, and the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. You see uh, an action of the Trinity there, you know. Um, and he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. That's something. Lost his wife, lost his wife because she looked behind. Had to wave goodbye to Mrs. Jones or, or something, but she looked behind. God says, don't look back, don't look, go forward. She became a pillar of salt. I have a missionary that visits me occasionally, and every time Ron comes to my house and wants the salt, he'll say, pass Lot's wife. That's what he says. But she became salt. And Abraham went early in the morning 
to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Abraham prayed for Lot, you know, and begged the Lord concerning Lot in the previous chapter, and God heard his prayer. And uh, we can pray for lost people and wayward people, can't we? Uh, but God has the final say. And God destroys this city so greatly that even to this day we can't find any pieces or remnants or, or, or uh, evidence of Sodom and Gomorrah because God nuked it. I mean, he destroyed it. It's gone. So he had become a part of Sodom. He tried to reason with the unrighteous. He appeared holier than now. Even his daughter's fiance thought he was joking. Lot could not move very far from the Sodom he loved. There was a permanent cost to Lot and his family. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And aren't you glad that we can receive the gift of God, eternal life? But the wages of sin is death. It does nothing but cause death. And I, I know we're sinners. You know, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We're sinners. We have imputed sin, sin that came from Adam. By one man sin in the world and death by sin, death passed upon all mankind. That's imputed sin. Um, there's, there's, a, there's sin we get, get that's inherited sin from our parents. In sin my mother conceived me, David said in Psalm 51. But then there's personal sin that we do too, that we're responsible for. And uh, this is personal sin on Lot's part. He ended up enslaved in Sodom and Gomorrah. He ended, ended up being a part of that city and investing all of his goods in the real estate of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he escaped without anything. Verse 30, Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. His two daughters were with him. He was afraid to dwell in Zoar. He's scared to death now. He saw what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, that it is no more. And he's scared to dwell in Zoar. So he, and his two daughters, they dwelt in a cave. The firstborn said to the younger, our father's old. There's no man on earth to come into us as a custom of all the earth. Come, let's make our father drink wine. We'll lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in and lay with the father. He did not know when she laid down or when she arose. It happened the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, I lay with my father last night, let's make him drink wine tonight, you go in, lie with him, we'll preserve the lineage of our father. They made their father drink wine that, that night also, the younger arose, lay with him. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son, called his name Moab, father of the Moabites to this day. The younger bore a son, called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the people of Ammon to this day. These two sons would be two tribes that would dwell between where Moses was coming in with the children of Israel at the end of their wanderings and the promised land. 
Both of these tribes stood out armed against the children of Israel, and they were not allowed to fight against them because they were kin. God says they're relatives, you can't fight them. So they had to skirt around them under Moses. They could have wiped them out, but God said no, no. Uh, God had, it, had other things in mind. Ruth the Moabitess would come out of Moab many centuries later, you see, and, and that had to happen and her, her to be adopted into the tribe of Judah uh, by Boaz, who would marry her. Beautiful love story you find in the book of Ruth. But that had to happen later on, you know, several centuries later. But they couldn't fight against them, and they were thorns in their sides until about the time of David, and then, uh, and then these tribes were wiped out. But um, there was a permanent cost a lot in his family, loss of marriage partners, loss of his wife, loss of all his material wealth. I mean, he's living in a cave. Someone will always say to me, I don't believe the Bible because, because there was cavemen. I said, yeah, there are today too. And Lot was a caveman. Amen. David dwelt in the cave of Adullam when he was hiding from Saul with four, 400 men. And uh, so there were cavemen in the Bible too. But they were intelligent men, were they not? And uh, Lot is dwelling in a cave, lost all of his wealth, and then lastly, his and his daughter's innocence. It's gone. It's gone here. You would not want to be a shining example to your family like Lot. I mean, let's face it. No. Um, walked in the counsel of the ungodly, stood in the way of sinners, sat in the seat of the scornful. No, no, no. When you know something to be wrong and you do it anyway, that's deliberate sin. Lot knew better. He knew better. But the lure of Sodom and Gomorrah was just too great for him, you see. Sin will take you further than you want to go to keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll cast you, cost you more than you want to pay. There's a little piece of literature here I want to read. It's by Portia Nelson, and it's called An Autobiography in Five Very Short Chapters. This is how it reads. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. But it isn't my fault. It takes forever to find the way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I choose to walk down another street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, concerning sin, we need to choose to walk down another street. I know we caught it from Adam. I know we got it from our parents, but it's no excuse. It's no excuse for our individual acts of sin. You know, we need to walk down another street. Sin. 
It's deadly. It take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. For sure. For sure. Don't be like Lot. This world has nothing that we really need. Our citizenship is in heaven. We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And uh, boy, we should be looking for him each day. And uh, what's going on in the world should make you sick. Uh, don't get attracted to it. Don't, don't, don't. Stay out, of, stay, out of, stay out of those places. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for God's people. We thank you for this church with uh, people of God that are trying to live righteous lives, trying to raise godly families. Um, we thank you for the leadership of Pastor John Stevens and Susan, his, his, his faithful wife. We thank you for the seriousness that he approach, approaches ministry and the warnings that he gives uh, God's people regularly. We thank you, Lord, for, for a light in a very dark place, Chicago. And, uh, Lord, we pray as people of God that we would take heed, that we would command our lives righteously, like Abraham and not like Lot, who, who couldn't envision anything but a, a choice house in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, we, we might see the results of sin and the destruction of everything that Lot held dear. Lord, the devil is a destroyer. He wants to destroy us. And uh, a lot of times we do it to ourselves just by, <clears throat> by yielding to sin and not righteousness, by yielding to fruit of the flesh and not fruit of the spirit. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help, help us to choose wisely our, our course each day and to love not the world or the things that are in the world. We pray, Lord, that you, you would guide our lives with discernment, with wisdom, with righteousness that uh, would be rewarded in this life and the one to come. Help us to be fruitful in the gifts that you've given us. Help us to be faithful, Lord, toward the word of God, God, the word of God, and people. Help us also, Lord, to have strength to resist, as, as we do each day, those things that would ensnare us. We pray, pray all of this until Jesus comes, and we, we would say, even so, Lord, come quickly. Give us that inner strength that we need and the ability to choose righteousness. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, our Redeemer, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, King of kings, Lord of lords, in Jesus' name.